Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are doing our third annual Opera for Everyone. <laughs> oh, nice. Sorry, I, I had a prop. I had to use it. Pat has bells. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the opera, by the way. <laughs> to celebrate our third annual holiday special. Yes, 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 yes. And on today's episode, we are doing not necessarily a Christmas or a holiday favorite, but still something that's done. Well, you explain it, Pat. (laughs) You know better than I do. You're giving me that look. Well, let's, yeah, I am. Um, Let's kill the suspense. Our opera today is Hansel und Gretel by Engelbert. Yeah, by Engelbert Humperdinck, an opera from the late 19th century. Uh And you're right. It's not a Christmas opera per se. It's not about Christmas. It doesn't have nutcrackers or Christmas trees or Santa Claus or religious figures in it. But we chose this, by we, I mean I, but I chose this. <laughs> <laughs> I chose this. It, it kind of hit me that more often than not, this is a Christmas time presentation as an opera. Oh. Huh. So recently I went and I saw it live in San Francisco and I couldn't help but notice that the opera house was filled with children, filled with children. I I don't even know where they got that number of booster seats. There were booster seats everywhere. There were children everywhere in their sweet Christmas clothes. I think they even had a a little gingerbread house in the lobby to uh, help set the mood for Christmas time. So it's interesting. It's it's not Christmas represented in the opera in any way, but it is an opera which is often, not always, but often, more often than not, shown at Christmas time. Well, and I wonder if that's just because it's a fairy tale, and you know, so then obviously it's more attractive to children, and for whatever reason, people like to go to a special theater or musical presentation at the holidays with their kids. In some ways, I, I think it's like the opera version of The Nutcracker at Christmas time. Right. A show with classical music that you can take your children to. Right. Although, of course, The Nutcracker does specifically deal with Christmas. I did look into this question, and I'll just say briefly that in its original conception, it was written for Christmas time to be presented by children at Christmas time, Humperdinck's sister, Adelheid Wette, asked her brother, who was quite an accomplished composer, to please write the music for four songs that she had written for a puppet show that her children were going to perform. Ah, okay, well, well, so there you go. That's why it's a holiday. it, It starts off being a Christmas treat. Right. And it was so successful with the family that she said, well, do more, do more. And so he expanded it to 16 songs and created a Zingspiel. You've heard me use that word before on Opera for Everyone. It's a, it's a, sing, it's a story set to music. Zingspiel is it's a very common way of presenting a musical story in Germany and even some of Mozart's operatic works. Zingspiels. Well, zing is sing, right? And spiel is story. Yeah, yeah? sung story. Exactly. Right. Okay, okay. There, and there are spoken bits as well. In fact, I think I think Magic Flute may be even considered to be a zingspiel. Didn't know that one either. 
Yes, we learned so much on Opera for Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, very quickly, Humperdinck realized what he that he had something really good going, and he expanded it into a full opera. So it's, I've, I've actually gotten various dates in my research for when his sister first asked him to do this, but somewhere between four and two years after that first Christmas puppet show, he had a full-blown opera, and it premiered two days before Christmas in 1893. And where was it first performed? It was first performed in Weimar, December 23 of 1893. And guess who the director was? Well, I won't make you guess, but it was none other than a young Richard Strauss. Oh! Yeah, Strauss was a big fan of Humperdinck's. He's about 10 years younger than Humperdinck, and both had worked at Bayreuth, helping out Ah. Wagner with various elements of his productions. Okay, and forgive me, Pat, if I am asking a silly question, but what is Engelbert Humperdinck's most famous piece? Because I have heard of him, but I don't know why. (laughs) You are not alone there. Engelbert Humperdinck's most famous piece is Hansel und Gretel. But you've heard the name before because he was a popular singer. Not same guy. Same name, not the same guy. Oh, right. There was an English crooner, is often how he's referred to, an English crooner whose name was Arnold Dorsey. But he changed it to Engelbert Humperdinck. And he had a lot of big hits in the 60s and 70s. Right. I mean, he's still around and occasionally performs in Las Vegas. But you've heard of Engelbert Humperdinck because he would get talked a lot about as a as a pop singer. I see. Okay, so he was Not had the a same guy. Uh, yeah had a perfectly normal name, Albert whatever, and then oh, changed Arnold it. Dorsey. Yes, <laughs> Arnold Dorsey, perfectly normal, perfectly good name, and then he decides. I think something like Engelbert Humperdinck is really gonna catch well, it, fire. You have to you have to agree it's fun to say, isn't it? Fun to say. It is, but it's it's a mouthful. <laughs> right. But people don't forget that name. No. So that's they why don't. you feel like you've heard him, but it's not this it's not the composer probably. Different guy. Because unless you're thinking of, of Hansel and Gretel, which isn't to say that Humperdinck, the composer, wasn't incredibly successful in his day, he was. But in terms of popular terms culture. Of, yeah, in terms of music that we still play a lot today, Hansel and Gretel is decidedly his most popular work, his most famous okay. work. Well, so as we launch into this, Pat, what yes. do we need to know to set the scene before we listen to our first piece of music? Oh, there's so much to know. Let's let's listen to a little bit of our overture and transition into the opening song. The overture gives us our initial introduction to a lot of i'm just going to go ahead and use the word leitmotifs yes the the musical themes right he is influenced by wagner and this is a very useful tool in this opera and he uses it masterfully so let's listen to a little bit of that opening and a little bit of the first song where we open the show with hansel and gretel in their home just the two children and they've been told to get some work done, but they're kids, and so they're playing. (laughs) 
listening to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck, and we just heard Gretel inviting her brother Hansel to come and have a dance, and Pat, I just have to say, it's been a while since we've listened to an opera in German, and it's just such a lovely treat, because I can actually sort of kind of understand it. (laughs) German always does sound a little more familiar to our ears, because English is a Germanic language. Right. But I'd like to point out that typically in this country, in the United States, Hansel and Gretel being a holiday treat, which is welcoming to the whole family, it's often performed in English rather than in its original language, German. Oh, well, yeah, that would be easier if you're a child, for sure. Well, it's, I mean, it's its lovely and inviting and, and worth noting that major opera companies like the New York Metropolitan Opera, I can say for a fact, the San Francisco Opera, which I saw recently, and I think Chicago's Lyric Opera also, they present it in English. And these are not opera companies that typically present operas in translation, but this is a special opera and they want to welcome the children, even though you know how opera is. It can still be difficult to catch all the words when opera singers are singing it, but still easier and feels less foreign. So that's an interesting element to note. And while we're speaking of unusual things, Hansel and Gretel has a very special place in radio history. So what's so special about this opera? Pat? <laughs> well, many things are special about this opera, but one of the things that's wonderful about this opera, and I'm happy to report, is that it, right from day one, was a smashing success, was well-received, well-loved by audience members, critics, other composers. We've mentioned that Richard Strauss, Richard Strauss not only conducted the premiere, he wrote to Humperdinck and said, this is an amazing opera. This is such a beautiful mix of folk song and sophisticated orchestration. Could I please have the honor of conducting? Strauss asked and Strauss was given that honor. He did that at age 29 in 1893. And a year later in 1894, Hamburg had its premiere and Gustav Mahler was the conductor in Hamburg. Wow. So some pretty big names. Really big names. and, And they were... They were excited to do it. That very same year, 1894 on Boxing Day, this opera had its premiere in London. Oh, yeah, Boxing Day, the day after Christmas. That's right. When we get, when we get all our boxes together. <laughs> I believe, after I believe that's when we eat from boxes because we've given the servants the day off. Is that why it's called Boxing Day? Someone told me that once. I couldn't swear to it myself, but I was told. Oh my gosh, I thought it it was because that was, you know, because all the Christmas gifts were... No, I think it's because we've given given the domestic help the day off. (laughs) Oh, shows how much I know. Now it's just the day when we return everything in boxes to Amazon. I'd rather just go see a movie. (laughs) Keeping in the mode of premieres, 1895... The very next year, it premieres in New York City. That premiere is in English, and it isn't until 1905 that the premiere happens in New York, uh, sung in German. And while we're talking about firsts, since we're radio people, let me tell you about some radio firsts for Hansel and Gretel. Yes, please do. This opera was Europe's first live transmission of an opera. It was from London's Covent Garden, January 6th, 1923. 
And then December 25th, Christmas Day of 1931, it was the very first radio broadcast of a complete opera from the Metropolitan Opera in New York. Wow. Inaugurating their whole series of radio transmissions. So it's a special opera. It's a, it is. It's popular. It's popular. It's like the people like it. People like it because it, it has this amazing quality of accessibility with these folk tunes that seem simple and they're eminently hummable. In fact, I saw it two weeks ago and I can't get a few of the songs out of my head. They just come to me unbidden. <laughs> they just right. come. The tunes. Well, and that's that's what I was going to say about the 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 tune that we just listened to, brother, yeah. come and dance with me. Is I I haven't heard it. I, I don't know that I've heard that actual tune, but it sounded very familiar, and it sounded like a like a like a kid's song. Yeah. It's, so it it has that catchy, and it's not just childlike. It, it also has the sophistication of lush orchestration throughout. So it's just this fabulous combination it's it's like the best kids movies in a way right it's something for the kids something for the adults and everyone is happy it's quality entertainment which you enjoy taking your children to so let me tell you what happens when the story continues they've just been dancing around and and as an adult you watch this scene and you think oh no the milk jug oh no the milk jug Oh, right, they're dancing gotten that. they're not paying any attention and you just go oh this is going to end badly much to your surprise they don't knock over the milk jug but mother comes home she's been out looking to see if she can get food she can do something to help the family she's given them the chores to do while she's away and she's furious when she sees them just goofing off like Hansel you're supposed to be making brooms and Gretel you're supposed to be knitting what is going on you two do not take your responsibility seriously. And she's furious. And in her fury, she wheels around and she knocks over the milk jug. It smashes oh, no. to pieces. The milk goes everywhere. Oh. And there goes their meal. Does she cry? Well, first she gets angry. Look what you made me do, you kids. Right. Look what you made me do. And she's like, go, go out and find something to eat. Go get strawberries. Here, take this basket. Go find strawberries out in the forest. If you look hard enough, you can do it. Don't come back till that basket is full. And she sends them off. And then she has this heartbreaking moment where she sits down in her total misery at the kitchen table and just pours out her heart with all that she's going through. It's fun. 
And when the mother is sitting at the kitchen table in all of her grief, she says to herself, yes, blind anger always breeds disaster. That's a little bit of that Adelheid moralizing. Yeah. Blind anger always breeds disaster. And she says, Lord God, send money from above. I have nothing to feed the children. And so you see in this moment, not a wicked mother, but a mother at the end of her rope. Yeah. And that's part of what's different in this story from the original Grimm's story, because it's a very different it's a very different feeling of what happens in the story with Brothers Grimm. Whether it's a mother or a stepmother, it's both cases. The Grimm's changed it over time. But the mother and the father work together during this time of famine and say, we, we, can't, we can't all four survive. And they take the children into the wood to leave them to die, which was not an uncommon thing for weak ones in the community be, to be left right. to die so that they didn't have to take away from the other resources members. yeah yeah so it's i mean this is harsh reality this is harsh yeah. and it's softened a bit in this telling of the story a parent's momentary rage at the stress of her situation is what we see in the operatic version as opposed to a meditated we've got to kill off the children so she's she's very despondent, but then yes. it seems her prayers are answered. Soon we hear, ra-la-la-la, ra-la-la-la. Well, lower, of course, because <laughs> it's the father coming home, and that's his little leitmotif. That's his tune. And he sings it, and he's in a good mood, and he's had a little something to drink, but that's okay because he's celebrating. He tells mother, I sold all these brooms. There's a festival coming up, and everyone wants their house to be clean. And they all bought my brooms, and look what I have for you. And he brings home this basket. It's got sausages and cheese and eggs, and oh my goodness, they're going to get something to eat. It's going to be good. Mother is thrilled. I 
Schnuppen 
Yes, and then he and then he comments on the fact that wait, our new jug is on the floor broken into pieces? Oops. And mother says yes, and and all the milk is on the floor. So the This father, is why we can't have anything nice. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of that. The mother it seems to be ready to blame the children for breaking the mug and she finally fesses up no I, I'm the one who broke the mug but in my rage I, I sent them out to, to get strawberries they'll be back when they when they get a bunch and when she explains that she sent them off into the forest to get these strawberries the father is struck with fear really struck with fear why don't you know in that forest there lives a cannibalistic witch? No, he doesn't <gasps> call her cannibalistic. But but he says, don't you know the witch lives in the forest? She's out there and she eats children. What? Well, I suppose if they're starving, I mean, would that ever happen? Would whatever happen? What, that like there would be a person in the woods that would like eat little kids? Well, you have to have to know that forest is always a location of fear mystery danger and fear goes along with that but he's very he's very clear it's not just any witch it's the knupser heckle knupser heckle i don't know what that means at all they translate it as nibble witch which sounds way too cute Oh, it sounds like a cookie from Keebler. Yeah. It's a nibble witch. <laughs> it's a nibble witch. It's filled with marshmallow cream mixed with peanut butter. Well, yes, but you're making this way too cute because the father fills us in on the whole story. As old as the rocks in the deep wood dwells, a witch by the devil empowered with spells. At midnight when no one's awake beside, she sallies forth on the witch's ride. And you know what witch's ride, of course brooms yeah and so there's a little bit of a like oh that's kind of interesting she rides the same kind of broom that he makes Mm. yes she rides over hill and dale and she's looking for children to eat all day she waits with her magic cakes by her crispy crunchy cottage gates to lure the children in within her door and bake them fit for the witch to go i don't remember operas ever rhyming this much pat 
they rhyme no. all the time. They well, first no. of all, this is a translation, of course, because I'm reading in English. Right. But the translator is helping us to enjoy it with rhyme. So it's very common to have rhymes. Is it? It's not uncommon, but it's not every opera either. Okay, I see. Okay. All right. So, and that was another thing I forgot about Hansel and Gretel is that her her house is supposed to be made of. It's her like it's edible. They start eating her house. Yes, we'll get to that when we get to that part of the story. But this is, we'll just drop a little hint and we'll talk more in the second half about gingerbread. This is part of why we associate gingerbread houses with Christmas time. There's no good reason for it, is there? I don't know. I mean. No, I guess, I mean. A lot of people will blame Hansel and Gretel, the story. For helping us to associate, it's it's interesting because these are tangential at best, right? This this concept of Hansel and Gretel being a Christmas story, gingerbread being a Christmas thing, a Christmas treat, and yet the the associations persist. It's fun. So history, history is exciting, Pat. Yeah. Well, this is more like speculation, but it's interesting to me that here they are living on the edge of this terribly dangerous forest and the father seems to know all about it and the mother doesn't but I think we have to let that inconsistency slide maybe the mother's in on it she's selling brooms to the witch so that the witch can go out and I don't think so so you see her maternal instincts return at the end basically mother and father grab one another's hands and say we must go out and rescue the children and so they go out and rescue the children and where are they Well, before we get to where they are, we have a little interlude between Act 1 and Act 2, and it's known as The Witch's Ride. And let's play a little bit of it. And if you've listened to Das Rheingold recently, or our opera for everyone on The Ring, listen to some of the early sounds. I don't know if you hear it, but I thought I heard Fasel and Fafner. The giants, their theme. It sounds like that, just just briefly. Anyway, and then it goes into this lush music representing the witch's ride and this interlude between Act 1 and Act 2. By the way, this is one of those act changes where you don't get out of your seats. Act 2 is coming right up. Thank you. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and we have just heard the end of Act One of Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck, and that was the Hexenrit, the Witch's Ride, and it sounded very cinematic, Pat. Very oh, it's, dark. Well, it's that lush orchestration. It's that evocative feeling. And now we begin Act Two in the woods, in the forest. It's a fascinating scene because directors can have a lot of fun with this scene. It's the two children alone in the wood. And in the beginning, they're being kids. They've actually found quite a lot of strawberries in their basket. And then they start playing and pretending they're like little eggs and somebody's stealing the eggs and she's popping the strawberries in his mouth and she's grabbing them for herself. And they're, well, before you know it, They've eaten them all. They've eaten all the strawberries. Of course oh, they have. Oh, no. They're hungry, the poor darlings. <laughs> so they've eaten all the strawberries, and the lights are getting lower. <gasps> it's getting darker. Nighttime is descending. And as that happens, little... They sort of see things. They talk about seeing things. And the directors can have a lot of fun with what they put in the woods. Two of the productions that I've seen recently populates the woods with fairy tale characters because so many of those stories do take place in the forest where danger lurks right like the big bad wolf exactly i think we should listen a little bit to the scene when suddenly hansel and gretel are out of strawberries and they realize they don't know how to get home they've lost their way it's getting dark because things don't look the same in the dark and they're a little nervous Yeah. 
This is Opera for Everyone, and you're listening to Hansel und Gretel by Ingelbert Humperdinck, and we've just heard from, I guess, from the Sandman. Yes, the Sandman is sung by a soprano. And we hear the little zit. What is what is that? What is sh- that's actually the Sandman? Well, that's sh- that's actually what it is. It's a sh- it's a comforting shushing. So they're scared of all these things and these shadows and these bits of light that they see in the wood, which could potentially harm them. But the Sandman says, the little Sandman am I. Shh. No ill intentions have I. Shh. I love you children dearly. Shh. So the Sandman, well, you know what the Sandman does in popular story puts you to sleep yes the sprinkles the sand that 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 feeling that makes you want to rub your eyes and go to sleep and that's exactly what happens to the children the sandman comforts them and says if you're good and really sleeping tight the stars will then appear in heaven's farthest sphere and angels bring you dreams of sweet delight so the sandman comes as a representation of comfort in this terrifying environment. And before they fall asleep, Gretel says to Hansel, there's something very important we must do. Now think of our librettist. What do you think she would have the children do before they fall asleep? Well, normally I would say brush your teeth because oral hygiene is very important. <laughs> Indeed it is. But in this case, I'm, I'm going to bet that they should pray. Exactly. And the prayer that they sing is the, is the heart of the opera, musically. It's the heart, of, I mean, it's also conceptually the heart of the opera. This tune that we're about to hear fully expressed in the song, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. We've heard bits of this tune, not just in the overture, but also all through when a little comfort is needed. And so they sing about, now I lay me down to sleep. And it's not going to be the same familiar prayer that, that we've heard before as children, or at least I certainly did. They follow it up with 14 angels, watch, do keep. Two at my head, two at my feet, two on my right, two on my left. Two to keep me warm and two to wake me at dawn. And the music and the harmony is exquisite for this piece and this tune is going to be very satisfying because through this opera we've heard little little snatches of this tune and then it gets its its full expression even if you're not conscious of having those seeds planted already and it's a very comforting moment in this period of of great hunger and need and fear They've had the Sandman visit them, and as the children fall asleep, there is a a musical piece called the pantomime or the mime, and the angels will appear on stage and position themselves around the children in these same locations that they sang about in their prayer.
listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. It's our special holiday episode, our third annual Opera for Everyone holiday episode. And this year we are listening to Hansel and Gretel, which is performed around this holiday time because it's a familiar fairy tale for the kids. (laughs) And hopefully it doesn't give them nightmares. (laughs) Yeah, but like most things that are for kids, they're actually quite scary when you begin looking into them. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, Brothers Grimm. <laughs> and so as we do, we begin the second half of our show with some recognition of the artists who are performing in today's recording. This particular recording that we're listening to today was made in Vienna in 1978 with the v- Vienna Philharmonic and Sir Georg Solti conducting Hansel is sung by Bridget Fassbender. Gretel is sung by Lucia Pop. The father is sung by Walter Berry. And the mother is sung by Julia Hamari. And the Nibble Witch is played by Ani Schlem. So thank you to our performers for making this lovely version of Hansel and Gretel that we're listening to today. And that kicks off the second half of our show. Right. Well, we've just had our intermission. Act three opens with a gorgeous piece of music, a- another prelude. <coughs> and <coughs> aren't you forgetting something, Pat? What am I forgetting? Pat, it's the second <gasps> half. Oh! <laughs> I thought you had something in your throat. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the opera helmet quiz. I'm, you know, this is the exception that proves the rule. It's the holidays. Killy, put on your or your sparkly red furry opera helmet for the holiday. Did you have two glasses of champagne at intermission? I wish. (laughs) So I'll try and get us through this as quickly and painlessly as possible. Hansel and Gretel is an opera written by Engelbert Humperdinck. It is based on a fairy tale by the Brothers Grimm. It premiered in Weimar on December 23rd, 1893, and it was written at the request of Humperdinck's sister, Adelheid, 
who was a devout Christian and wanted a piece of holiday music to accompany up a little puppet show that she had created for her children around the holidays. The, um, the initial version. The was... initial version. And then it was expanded. It, it, the, the initial one was only four songs, and it was expanded later to 16 songs and became a holiday favorite. And we don't really know if that is by design or by happenstance, but we do see this opera being performed around the holidays around the world. And we also know that it may have something to do with our tradition of gingerbread houses, right? Yes, it's probable that the story of Hansel and Gretel itself helped to popularize the gingerbread house, interestingly. We'll go into the history of gingerbread a little bit later, but I need you to bring us up on the plot. Don't try okay. to get out of this quiz. Okay, <laughs> so Hansel and Gretel live with their mother and father in the countryside of Germany, nearby a dense, scary forest wood. And in the wood is alleged to be a witch who eats children. And Hansel and Gretel were goofing around at home when they were supposed to be working. Hansel was supposed to be making brooms for his father to sell, and Gretel was supposed to be knitting and mending socks. The family has fallen on hard times, and they're actually on the verge of starvation. And so the parents are understandably very stressed out about this and as they're goofing around not doing their chores mother comes home from trying to be out and about in the world fending for the family trying to get them some food and she arrives home to find the kids playing and in her desperation and grief or level of stress she loses her temper with the with the kids and as she's chasing Hansel around the kitchen knocks over a pitcher of milk that a neighbor had kindly given to them and becomes sort of despondent uh, or, or rather she becomes angry first and says to the kids what are you kids doing you should be working to help the family and you're not you're just goofing around and now look what you've made me do I've knocked over this pitcher and that was all the food that we have go out into the into the woods and find us some strawberries to eat and don't come back until this basket is full. And so the kids sort of scurry out and run out into the forest to find strawberries. And the mother is left alone at the kitchen table and she's lamenting the situation and saying how sad she is that they are so poor and, and that they don't have any food. And just in the midst of her lament, father returns singing a song, ra la 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 and he's had a little bit to drink because he's celebrating <laughs> his good fortune of selling all the brooms and returning home not with brooms that are left unsold but rather a basket full of sausages and cheese and Yum. eggs and other items um, for the family to eat so they won't go hungry so the mother is very pleased with this turn of events and he says but wait where are the kids where are the kids? And the mother is like, oh, I've sent them out into the woods to look for berries. And he says, but don't you know, there's an evil witch out there that eats children. And she's like, what? And so then <laughs> exactly, they get themselves together and they scurry out of the house into the forest in search of Hansel and Gretel. Anyway, so the witch's ride ends act one. And then act two begins with Hansel and Gretel 
and they're um, saying that they've lost their way, they're lost in the woods. That's very well. For, in the beginning, they play. They just they're having a good time. They're eating their strawberries. They're playing games with the strawberries. Their kids losing track of where they are right. and what they're and doing. They eat all the strawberries, which we know they're going to get in trouble for that. But then they, the, then it starts to get dark, and they don't know where they are, and then they start to hallucinate. Maybe they weren't just strawberries. Maybe they were other things, because the kids are seeing all types of fairy tale type. Maybe stuff. they're hungry and tired and scared. <laughs> or maybe this is the Sid and Marty Croft version, where they see flying monkeys and strange things. No, I'm just kidding. So they've lost their way. And then they encounter the Sandman, who lulls them to sleep with a lullaby, sprinkling sand and um, protecting them. And there's angels at their feet and head and on one side and the other and keeping them warm and giving them sweet dreams and all this kind of stuff. And so they're protected. Oh, yeah, they, they, they sing the Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, but it's not the traditional Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. It's a traditional, it's a different version Yes, and in all this, they are essentially having a dream about the angels, but they're both having the same dream. Act three will open essentially where we left off, but it's the next morning. And who wakes them up but the Dew Fairy. By the way, these two characters, the Sandman and the Dew Fairy, are additions to the story that Adelheid made. They were not in any of the pre-existing fairy tales. Oh, so they were actually Adelheid's ideas. The Sandman and the Dew Fairy, yes. Oh, I'll be darned. Okay, so they to add, to... I mean, to add to this story, yes. Right. Yes. Because those aren't uh, existing... No, but, ad- they're, but they're comforting elements to give the children in the forest. Right, okay. So we've got the Sandman, and then we've got the Dew Fairy. Right, and in many productions, the same soprano will play both roles. Not all, but in many. Not in the one we're listening to. So let's listen a little bit to the Dew Fairy and the children just waking up in the forest. courtesy of the Dew Fairy. The children wake up and basically Gretel and Hansel compare dreams and realize they've had the very same dream with the angels, which is a comforting thing. And when they finally become fully awake, they remember they're lost in the forest. And they sort of think they begin to see something and then all of a sudden into view comes cottage it's a house it's an unusual house it is what you and i might call 
A gingerbread house. Oh, it's the gingerbread house. It is the witch's house. And it probably wasn't originally gingerbread, or it might have been, but it was a it was an edible home. It was a very special, enticing home for the children. And just as the story of Hansel and Gretel, which became popular in the early part of the 19th century, courtesy of the Brothers Grimm, this opera and its popularity helps to make gingerbread houses a real holiday tradition because they're gorgeous. Well, and they're fun. They're fun and they're delicious. And what's better than playing with, I, I've candy. done it with my own kids, where you have uh, bowls filled of different kinds of candy and frosting and you decorate it and there's just sugar everywhere. <laughs> Are you ready for some questions about gingerbread? Of course, yes. Because gingerbread has a long and interesting history in European culture. I did not know this. Yes, I read so much about it. I thought maybe I'd quiz you. Oh, Multiple choice, oh, this though. Is, oh, okay, so they, okay, this is a quiz. So, this, is a, this is here. Hang on, hang on. This is a game. Are there prizes? This is a game for our Christmas special. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we have to make it a little different. All right. There are no sleigh bells in this opera. I just got these bells recently and thought I'd make use of them. <laughs> All right, Keely. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. The oldest known European gingerbread recipe, A, was remarkably similar to today's popular recipes. B, included stale breadcrumbs, rose water, and ground almonds. C, was a soft porridge, not remotely resembling a biscuit or a cookie. B. Excellent. Yes. Because we have to use up stale things. Stale breadcrumb, rose water, and ground almonds. Yeah. Not to mention ginger. Sounds yummy. Okay. What monarch master of public relations, made miniature caricatures, gingerbread men, of visiting dignitaries to give them as gifts. Was it A, Charlemagne, B, Peter the Great, or C, Elizabeth I? Elizabeth I. Because oh, she's nice. charming. Because she, yeah, she just had to keep them all guessing, right? Yeah. So she, they, she would have her, her bakers make gingerbread men that were caricatures of these various people who would come visit her and she handed them out. That's clever. Well, it's also theorized that Frederick II, Holy Roman Emperor, in the 13th century made gingerbread men of himself and passed them out as a way of spreading yeah. the love. Well, that's a good idea too. It's a great idea. So, gingerbread in Germany became particularly popular. In Germany, before gingerbread was made into either men or houses, it was made into this shape to be given to that special someone. Was the shape A, a diamond to bring good fortune, B, a heart to inspire love, C, a spade to ward off ill health or death, D, a club to demonstrate homage to the local nobility? <laughs> I would say club to... Well, I, I would say club in a way like step back or I'll club you but I don't think that's what it is for real I think it's actually a heart to inspire love you are an excellent test taker Keely am I yeah yeah they were in fact they were ding 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 in German they were called love cookies for quite a long time oh yeah they would tie them with a pretty ribbon okay currently the world's largest gingerbread house is in a Warsaw Poland B, 
Nuremberg, Germany, or C, Texas, USA? C, Texas, USA. Of course, it's Texas. Everything's, <laughs> everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> it's insane, the size of this gingerbread house. It's like the size of a football field. It's 1,110 cubic meters. Gross. Uh, when was it built? Uh, 2013. It's on a plot of land near this clubhouse in Bryan, Texas. And then they, they used it for charitable purposes. Visit And by the way, this is uh, certified by the Guinness Book of World Records that it's the largest one. Visitors to the house were able to meet Santa Claus in exchange for a donation to St. Joseph's Hospital to raise money to build a trauma center. Seems like a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Okay. This Am American... I four for four right now? You are. You. I told you you're a great test taker. You must Sweet. know me well. Yeah, yeah. This American woman provides a notable example of the popularity of gingerbread. She named her creation Gingerbread Lafayette in honor of the French general who fought in the American Revolution. Was it A, Betsy Ross, B, Abigail Adams, C, Mary Ball Washington, mother of George Washington, D, Martha Jefferson, wife of Thomas Jefferson, or E, Eliza Hamilton, wife of Alexander Hamilton. I'm going to go with B, Abigail Adams, because she was a smart cookie. She was a smart cookie, but it was George Washington's mother, Uh, Mary Ball Washington. (laughs) Sorry. Dang it. Oh, come on. I would have felt upset if I couldn't fool you on one of them. So it's actually fun if you go to the Mount Vernon website. They have her recipe. Oh. And a little more of the story there. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fun. But and that was not the kind of gingerbread that's like a crisp cookie. Uh-huh. Like we were talking about these others where you that you can make a man out of. It's the kind of gingerbread which is more like a soft spice cake. I love gingerbread. She uses lemon and stuff in it. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. So you can go to the Mount Vernon website and try out Mary Ball Washington's gingerbread recipe. Et voila. Et voila. Although the icing, it's fascinating. The icing uses egg yolks, cooked egg yolks, which you blend into the icing. I haven't tried it yet. So anyway, that's a bit of a digression. <laughs> but, you know, gingerbread. Yeah. Gingerbread. Well, you can't do a show about Hansel and Gretel without some gingerbread. Yeah. Although, like I say, the d- directors can make different choices with their productions. And one, the one I saw most recently made it kind of a, a chocolate house. As long as it's edible, that's all that counts. Because when we first hear the witch, and she's about to make her appearance, we're, we're well into the opera before. Yeah, they're the munching even... on it. They're munching on the house. Yes, Yeah, yes. well, see, if they were going to do one to entice me, it would have to be made out of kettle chips. <laughs> you have spoken of those before, haven't you? <laughs> I love kettle chips. So so they see this this house, and Gretel instantly knows this is a little suspicious. Don't go near it, Hansel. But they're hungry. And there's a whole house that looks like it would be delicious. And they finally give in. And in the midst of them putting food in their faces, they the witch her. will appear on stage, and <gasps> she will say... Nibble, nibble, mousy, who's nibbling at my housey? Oh. Again, sort of a, a, a sing-songy, rhymey thing. And they're like, did you hear something? Yeah, maybe. Did you hear something? Yeah, maybe. Well, never mind. Let's just eat some more. Yeah, exactly. But ultimately, the witch makes herself visible to the kids. 
and you know instantly that she's up to no good because she's after them. And before long, she will cast a spell and freeze Hansel <gasps> and Gretel so they can't run away. <gasps> She'll hear a little bit from the witch. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>
Listening to Opera for Everyone, and on today's episode, we are listening to Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck. And we've just finally met the witch. We <laughs> met her. But she doesn't, she sounds much more uh, Good Witch of the East than Wicked Witch of the West, Pat. She doesn't sound scary to me. Well, isn't that how the evilest things seem? Well, I don't know. In The Wizard of Oz, she was green and she was super scary. Yeah, but true evil can be hard to see at first. Oh, right. It's yeah, she's, she's trying to... Make them comfortable. She's them grooming comfortable. them. She is. She's wanting to offer them sweets. Put Weren't them you as a ease. child told, don't take candy from strangers? Yes. Well, it's a little bit harking back to all of this. The danger from ill-intentioned adults... Those adults usually come off very kindly to children in the beginning. True. And that's that's a bit of a lesson here for anyone watching this. No, the Nibble Witch is very nice in the beginning. In fact, I saw a production, a fabulous production. There's no subtitles. Uh, it was sung in German. It was uh, played at a German theater through the Stingray Classica streaming. It was amazing. They had her looking like a glamorous movie idol in with a red hair and a red dress and she just looked beautiful and she was being very inviting to the children and then when we get to the point where she finally gives up and she freezes them she pulls off the wig and she right. transforms herself into a hag right so it's part of her skill to be appealing she's a shapeshifter yeah yeah it was fascinating it was really well done and here She's trying to 
cajole the children. She's trying to convince them. She's trying to lure them in with the things that children love. Because after all, as the story goes on, we will see that she has succeeded a great many times with a great many other children. Ooh, I just got a shiver up my spine. That's so creepy. It, she's completely creepy. I mean, the father was right to be terrified. So she tries to lure them in voluntarily. And when they are putting up some resistance, because these two are pretty crafty kids, she does freeze them. In fact, let's hear a little bit of her song where she says, Halt! Hocus pocus hexen shoes.
for everyone and on today's episode we are listening to Hansel and Gretel by Engelbert Humperdinck and in that song we've just heard from the nibble witch and she doesn't sound so much like a nibble witch anymore now she just sounds like a creepy evil witch which is her true self she's gone from trying to cajole to using her magic spells hocus pocus hocus pocus and and the the German word you said earlier talked about freezing the blood, and that's Ooh. how she freezes the the kids. I mean, they they can't move their bodies, and she leaves for a minute. They can't move, but they talk to each other. And Hansel says, "Just keep an eye on her. Don't don't let an opportunity go by." And they're conspiring together. And the witch will come back and explain that she's planning to fatten up Hansel just like you would fatten up your Christmas goose right? to get him ready for a nice meal. But when she refers to Gretel, she talks about her chubby legs. So she may think that Gretel has enough meat on her already. But she will turn to Gretel and say, Hocus pocus, elder bush, limbs be disenchanted. Swoosh. And with her magic wand and those words, she unfreezes Gretel. Ah. Gretel's been listening, though, which will come in handy later. So she's looking at Gretel and thinking she's going to be delicious, but my oven needs to get hotter and we've got a little time to kill basically before she carries on. And so after threatening Gretel, Gretel my sweet, soon you'll be roast meat, she decides to leave the children and go on a little broom ride. Now that's how it's expressed in the original libretto. Every version that I've seen of this opera, the director chooses to handle it differently. In some, she's singing and she's cooking up a storm and food's going everywhere and Gretel's helping her. In one I saw, she's bouncing on a ball, which is taking the place of a broomstick. But it's very interesting. In none of the recent productions that I've seen, do they use an actual witch's broom, which would, of course, look like the brooms that the father was selling. Yeah. So there's a certain harmony that's there in the original writing but it isn't always put into the operas that are presented at least not the ones that i've seen recently huh american and german so i thought that was kind of interesting there's a whole there's a so she has a, a, a bit of a piece there that she sings let's hear a little bit of it where she rides around on her broomstick
Well, she's just having a great time, that witch. Well, it's a very good day for her. She's riding her broom. She's got two new children to eat. What could be better for I a know. witch? I guess, yeah. I mean, it is, she needs a nice Chianti, I guess. <laughs> well, she doesn't, she doesn't talk about that. But she's had her ride, and she's ready to get back to work. She sends Gretel out to get some food so they can fatten up Hansel. Go on those chubby little legs of yours, she says, and... Go get Hansel, letting you know she thinks maybe Gretel might be tasty eating already. And while she is feeding Hansel with the food that Gretel has brought back, mm-hmm. Gretel, clever young woman that she is, grabs the magic wand and repeats 
that very same spell to unfreeze Hansel. And it works. And it works? Right. Well, Hansel has to pretend. He has to pretend, but he's not frozen anymore. Oh, this is like unlocking your account and guessing the passwords. It's like she got very lucky. Well, she heard, no, she heard the witch give the incantation earlier. But how would she know that the same, the exact same incantation would unfreeze Hansel? It's an educated guess. I mean, she got pretty lucky, (laughs) don't you think? Yes. I'll I'll go with you on that. She got pretty lucky. But they've had a a string of bad luck, so it's nice that they got some good luck. They got a good, yeah, I mean, because sometimes I can't even, like, unlock my bank account (laughs) online. Even even my Verizon account, I've got to call them up and be on the chat for at least 20 minutes. Well, thank goodness she did get lucky because I don't think she could call anyone up at this point. No, she she had to rely on her own wits. No, it was all it was all Gretel. She had to do it on her own. And that's very handy because when the witch tells Gretel to go check the things that are cooking in the oven and Gretel plays dumb, she plays dumb helper. I do that a lot. Playing dumb is actually a very effective way of getting information. I, I think I you may, may have learned that in your childhood from these stories, huh? Maybe. Or maybe do, just Do practice. you do that a lot? You haven't noticed? <laughs> okay, we'll leave it there. <laughs> it's, it's your shtick, huh? I'm giving away my secrets. I mean, like, why did I get it? <laughs> well, it worked for Gretel. <laughs> And it worked for Hansel, too. It works for me. When, when the witch said, check, and she said, I don't know how. Show me. I don't show understand. Me. We digress. We're both getting punchy. It's the end of the show. It's the holiday spirit. <laughs> oh, Love those Okay, bells. so Hansel I mean, is unfrozen. I mean, to get myself a horse. Hansel is unfrozen. But he's Gretel's pretending his- he's still frozen. Well, he doesn't want to make the witch suspicious. Right. And the witch tells Gretel to check on the oven, and the witch is ready to push her in the oven. Gretel plays dumb. And a couple of times, out of exasperation, the witch explains again how you check on things in the oven. And Gretel just can't seem to get the hang of it. It's too complicated for her. Mm. So the witch finally goes over and demonstrates. And in that moment... Both Gretel and Hansel from behind push her into the oven and whoosh and slam the door shut. And then we have Roast Witch. And together they will rejoice, mocking the witch, saying, And when you're in, slam, shut the door, wham. Instead of Gretel, you will be a cake for tea. (laughs) (laughs) So they are, they are jubilant. They are quite happy to have defeated the witch. Well, and now they can eat her her entire house. Well, it's interesting because, again, different productions will stage it differently. But what the libretto tells us is that they run into the house and they start looting it, basically, for food. They throw out apples and pears and nuts and all kinds of sweetmeats and all sorts of things that they can take home to their family because, after all, everyone yeah. is starving. And all of a sudden you hear a loud crash and the oven explodes. The witch has turned in to a gingerbread man. (gasps) What? Which resembles larger, but it resembles the gingerbread men that they've seen all over the house. And there's an eerie bit of singing, children's choir. These gingerbread men that we've seen everywhere, these are the children 
that the witch has killed. But they don't seem to be entirely dead now that the witch has been defeated. And little by little, Hansel and Gretel will go and touch the heads of each one of these children. And their touch brings them back to life. Sure does. And the children's choir singing at this point, I just, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. It is so beautiful. It's reverent. It's joyful. It's exquisitely beautiful. Well, and we know how much you love a chorus. I do.
they've defeated the witch and the kids are happy and is that does is that the end is that where it ends it is not the end because we still have two characters out wandering oh, in the right. forest yeah they're yes mother and father well, the children are all celebrating, the children who've been set free, and our two main characters, Hansel and Gretel, and all of a sudden we hear, you can almost guess what we hear. Hansel? Gretel? Hear, ra la la la, oh, ra la la la, right, yeah, right, father. The father is approaching, and he's not actually happy this time, it's just that that's the tune we hear when the father shows up, and... They sing, the parents sing, wouldn't it be nice if the children were here? And the kids hear their parents and they're so happy. Nobody's angry that they got thrown out of the house or any of that. (laughs) That's not mentioned, not dealt with. It's just a joyful, joyful family reunion. And at this point, the witch has been turned into gingerbread gingerbread, or she's, she's somehow dead but visible. All the kids have been brought back to life. Hansel and Gretel are back with mommy and daddy, and that's good. And by the way, this is a good point to to explain some of the differences in this version versus the, the Grimm's Brothers version of Hansel and Gretel. In the Hansel and Gretel version that the Grimm's Brothers had, they don't loot the house for food. They loot the house for jewels. And they, oh. fill, they fill up their pockets with jewels. What? And the parents haven't come out to find them because the parents were expecting them to die off in the wood because they needed they left them there yeah because they wanted them to be not their problem anymore yeah they they wanted to not have to feed them anymore and when they make their way back they do find their way back to the house they discover just the father the mother or stepmother depending on the version she has died oh and essentially they live happily ever after now that they're rich thanks to the witch's jewels with their father, the one who was not quite as mean to them. The one whose idea it wasn't originally to leave them in the woods, even though he is talked into it by his wife. So that's the Grimm's brothers. However, in our opera, we are all happy and joyful because the kids have all been saved. The witch is defeated. Virtue is rewarded. Evil is conquered. The parents show up, we have a joyful reunion, and we have a little bit of moralizing. From Adelheid? Well, yes. It's in her libretto, and she she puts the words into the father's mouth. And in this final triumphant song, by the way, it's going to be that same familiar tune from the prayer that we heard at the end of Act 2. So and it, it, that's a very satisfying feeling. Again, it's, it's rich, lush orchestration. But the father is going to say, Heaven thus has judgment passed. Things of evil do not last. When need is more than we can stand, the Lord our God holds out his gracious hand. Yes, when need is more than we can stand, the Lord our God holds out his hand. And that is the final thing that the father says, and then everyone in a big chorus says, When the need is more than we can stand, the Lord our God holds out his hand. So there's no mistaking what they want the moral of this story to be. Yeah, do the right thing. Well, and and persevere. The difficult times do not last. It's a nice message. It is a nice message. There are a lot of nice messages here, and, and honestly, I think a lot of that is credit to Humperdinck's sister and the music 
does what a good opera does is it reinforces that message and makes it very satisfying and emotionally powerful. It's a nice place to end. <laughs> no, no sleigh bells. <laughs> Sorry. No snow. Just a gingerbread house and a lot of children brought back to life. Thanks for joining us on our third annual holiday special. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera, opera for, for Everyone. everyone.